This is Tom Donnelly with Akata. Our podcast, Profiles in Digital Leadership, Fraud versus Friction, is a series of interviews with e-commerce, fintech, law enforcement, and global thought leaders. We will focus on fraud prevention and customer experience best practices that everyone should know about. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Fraud versus Friction podcast. My name is Tom Donnelly. I'm currently residing in Singapore as the VP and GM for Nakata's APAC expansion. I'm excited to invite a longtime colleague and really well-known fraud expert onto this episode. Her name is Carmen Honecker. Carmen and I met, good golly, Carmen, 12, 13 years ago, probably, you're based in Amsterdam right now. So welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yes, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Carmen Honecker. I currently lead customer and payment fraud at Booking.com. I um, just recently moved from the U.S. to Amsterdam. And yes, I think we've met in 2008 at a MRC conference at the Discover site in Chicago. Ah, yeah, of course. Yeah, that was a good one. Carmen, it's really unique for people to carve out a career in fraud prevention. I'm curious, what helped you or what caused you to land in fraud as your profession? How did that happen? Well, it was a quite unusual story. It wasn't as unusual in the sense that I, of course, was selected to do that. That happened to most of us, as a matter of fact. But the original reason behind it was kind of interesting. I was leading risk review at Yahoo Search Marketing, which included basically all of the categories that nobody wanted, like adult content, trademarks, various things like supplements, gambling way back when. So every time somebody said, I don't want to deal with it, I usually yelled here because I had a natural knack for compliance. And when Yahoo decided to revamp their platforms and completely change the way we approached search marketing from an editorial point of view, I came back after January 1st to the office. This is 2007. And the VP says, Carmen, you're going to spearhead fraud. And I said, I know nothing about fraud. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. You'll learn it. And he put me in touch with a bunch of salespeople and marketing and product people. And that's how it started. That's great. And you've had a chance to work across a a wide array of companies in the industry. I'll just name a few. So you mentioned Sony. Um, There's Intuit, Yahoo, Threatmetrics, and also an online psychic network, which is probably my favorite. How have you seen fraud change across these various companies? And how did you see those fraud attacks evolve as you gained experience and worked in this diverse array of businesses? Well, I think when we started out, we were focusing predominantly on fraud prevention. I believe that the U.S. always had a little bit of a advantage over Europe and other areas because we had the most amount of fraud simply due to the fact that the customer is always right 
and first in the US. So there was very little pushback in terms of, no, you can't ask for a refund or you can't do this or can't do that. So we had to be really innovative. And the problem was that back then, the tools were just not there. And I remember, for example, starting out fraud reviews in Excel spreadsheets, where we literally would do VLOOKUPs I don't know if anybody remembers this stuff and had to compare customer data in order to even figure out what kind of signals are bad, which ones are good and do a very, very manual time consuming and also quite labor consuming process. My first fraud team that I started at Yahoo had over 50 people because we were on this thing called risk. I didn't even know what risk was back then. And we had to get off of it. That's all I was told. I had very little time to get off of it. So we threw as many bodies as possible at it. Yeah. And you're, and now you're talking about at that point, Carmen, let's define this for folks that don't know. So risk was the, the you were over the chargeback limit at that moment. Yeah. For visa, specifically for visa. And of course, what has changed now is that we are less in fire mode or attempting to kill fires. We are much more about customer enablement, reducing friction for customers. So it has shifted where fraud prevention in itself is almost easy because there are so many tools and processes and knowledge available around that where the customer friction has become the main focus. I would agree with that, Carmen, that, that that's a real focus here in Asia as well as companies are trying to grow their business. They really want to make it easy for customers to onboard, to transact. So there's a real shift from just defeating fraud, which is kind of the bare minimum to beat the, the chargeback limits and defend against losses. But there's a real awareness around wasting money on marketing to bring in customers that just won't transact or, or won't be legitimate. I'm curious if there's maybe one, because you've had a lot of interaction with law enforcement, you've had a lot of good colleagues that you developed associations with through the Merchant Risk Council. And Carmen, you serve on the global board right now, don't you? Yeah, I've been on the global board since 2018. Yeah, congrats. congrats. But I've it's, been, great, it's great work. But I've been actually co-chairing the conference committee for the North America since I joined that in 2011. And I started co-chairing it in 2013. So yeah, I've been part working with the MRC for a long time. Carmen, I think with all the great associations you've built over the years, do you have an anecdote that would share a story of working collaboratively with other merchants to stop a, a fraud ring? Yeah, as a matter of fact, this one goes quite a few years back. I was working as a consultant in a company that does clothing for predominantly younger girls or younger teenagers. And I've noticed tons and tons of shipments going to the same house over and over. And I'm thinking, how many kids can this person have? So, of course, I used a identity verification to figure out who lives there and promptly found that the owner of the house was a man in his 70s and his wife also in his 70s. And I'm thinking, this is strange. So I got the phone number and called him and I asked, hey, may I ask if these all of these orders that we're getting, are they legitimate? And he says to me, 
Oh, yes, they're absolutely legitimate. We are helping these nice people from Ghana ordering because they say you don't allow them to shop on your site. And of course, I face palmed and cringed. And I said to him, how long has this been going on? He says, oh, I've been doing this for lots of other companies for them. So I said, okay, sir, let me educate you about what a mule is and that what you're doing is actually a criminal act. And would it be okay if I sent you return labels and also find out in a merchant community if there are other companies who sent you stuff? He says, oh, of course. And he was horrified. So back then, the MRC had her email list. This is before privacy concerns. And we would quite frequently share, hey, we see a strange IP address or a physical address that seems suspicious. So I shared this on the MRC's email and promptly got back responses from large merchants. I think there was Best Buy involved and quite a few others who said, holy cow, we've also been sending a lot there. So long story short, we all sent a whole bunch of return labels. I don't know how much merchandise we recovered. It was quite a bit from what I understand. And at least we shut that specific mole down. That's great work. And again, collaboration pays off to help stop the crime ring. The next question is a hypothetical, but I know you've got a ton of experience and you've worked with a lot of different solutions in the industry. If you were to put yourself in the shoes of a CEO of a FinServ or a payments or an e-com company, where would you invest your money or your resources in the near future? You know, I've been very, very interested in biotech. Retina displays and retina recognition, fingerprints, actual thumbprints and things like that. I think voice controls, all of these are very interesting for me. And I wish we would get away from things like passwords and other data points that can easily be spoofed or taken over or otherwise stolen. I think that would be really cool if we could find a way to authenticate people with their own biometrics so we don't have to use static data points that can be taken over by a fraudster. And there are a lot of interesting biometrics companies out there. So you heard it here. Carmen Honecker suggests investing. Get out and invest. (laughs) I think if we take a look at all of the breaches that have been happening over the past few years and the billions of data points that have been stolen and have been used and sold on the various dark websites and have been pre-used in order to take over accounts and steal accounts and create fake accounts and credential stuffing, I think we need to get away from anything and everything that allows these people to monetize and in a way take their ability of success away by, okay, so you breached, but you can't do anything with that information. Imagine a world like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've been preaching at Akata this need to move away from static credentials or you know static identity credentials. The world is definitely moving towards dynamic authentication. So I think you're spot on there. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about diversity and inclusion. You've done a lot of work in your personal and professional development to promote diversity and inclusion and in your role as a leader with the Merchant Risk Council. I'm curious if there are a couple of things you're engaged with or experiences you'd like to highlight for the podcast. 
my favorite experiences were actually speaking at universities. So I was asked to speak as part of a panel for women in data at Loyola Marymount. The interesting part about that was that after the panel was done, I had about 12, 15 girls follow me in the hallway and ask me questions for two hours. That's when Loyola said, hey, there is something there in the way that you engage the girls. Would it be okay for you to come back as a solo speaker? One of the panel members, namely the moderator, then invited me to speak at USC. Again, I was part of a panel. Same thing happened. Again, the the girls or even young men flooded and asked me questions about, can we be better in including especially young girls and so on? And then USC invited me to actually address their honor roll school of engineering. And that was really, really interesting because I later on spoke at a panel at Sony for a high school in the area and had, again, was asked, can you come to our school and present? Because my approach has always been very different. It was not so much about boys versus girls or anything like that. It was more about the recognition of true diversity in terms of gender and age and races and backgrounds and knowledge, because I really believe that that creates the very best teams that you can have. And at the MRC, three years ago, I think it was, I actually spoke at Women in Payments and Fraud in Amsterdam. (laughs) Interesting that I'm here now. And it was interesting because I had no idea that I would be a solo speaker. And I also had no idea that I was supposed to talk about myself, not about fraud, but about myself. And an interesting thing happened. It was actually harder than I at first thought. And I had this apparently rather profound experience, including on Fiona, who is now working for you. And people asked can you mentor me? And from that moment on, I started mentoring quite a lot of people within the industry. I started speaking more and more about that, which then in turn allowed my leadership to send me to Grace Hopper or to various other conferences and panels. And the next thing I know, I'm doing these panels or talks quite a bit. And it's my Mm -hmm. passion because, you know, I honestly believe that We need sometimes a little bit more of a voice for women in technology because we are still very much the minority. Very, very much so. And I think MRC has done a great job with the women in payment fraud. And I'm pretty sure the MRC staff is almost completely female now, which is great and a good sign for the industry to have those leaders. Carmen, one final question for you. Over the years, I've learned about your techniques of sorting through the riffraff and getting to the the good and the meaningful aspects of life. And one example of that is the Carminator. (laughs) For the uninitiated, how would you describe the Carminator? (laughs) I can't believe you remember this. (laughs) Well, I actually have a very interesting approach to hiring. And this approach has worked even before I was in fraud and has been successful enough for various teams in this, on the security side or product side or engineering side to include me in the hiring process. So I don't know if you know this, you probably do, 
most of us who work in fraud have a very keen ability to see who a person really is. We are generally pretty good in telling truth from lie and vice versa. And I would ask people in the interview, I still do this to this day, the same question. And the question is, if you were independently wealthy and you had all the money in the world, what would you do and why? And the pattern is that within fraud prevention, more than 90% of the people answered this question with altruism. So they wanted to find a cure for cancer or they started a, I had one who started a battered women's shelter. I had another one who worked with the homeless people and so on. The carminator comes in for people who think they can basically BS their way through an interview and and basically just lie and make stuff up as they go along, especially when they start bad-mouthing vendors or other companies. And the carminator simply comes in place when I send the (laughs) absolutely no, not over my dead body, will this person be hired? And this is where that comes from. It's a rather quick, not so quick judgment in the sense of I take a while to make sure that my assumptions about the person are right. But once I have them down, yes, they're carminated. They have no chance. (laughs) Carmen, thank you for joining for this episode of the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you're a global leader interested in speaking with us on a future episode, please email podcast at akata.com. That's it for today. Until next time, take care.